Welcome to the Denton's Employment and Labor Podcast. In a series of podcasts, the Denton's Employment and Labor Group will discuss the latest employment law impacting the Canadian workplace and offer our guidance during these challenging times. I'm your host, Alison Walsh, and I'm a partner in the Denton's Employment and Labor Group. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Adrian Elmsley, to continue our discussion on the legal and practical considerations of remote working arrangements. Adrian is a partner in Denton's and is the head of the Employment and Labor Group in Alberta. Welcome back, Adrian. Thanks, Allison. Happy to be here. Last episode, we discussed when an employer may consider implementing or maintaining work remote arrangements, the benefit of these arrangements, as well as managing employees' expectations while they are working from home. Today, I'd like to discuss some of the challenges and issues employers should be aware of and be addressing when moving their workforce to a remote working arrangement. Firstly, employment standards legislation requires employers to keep track of the hours their employees are working. Obviously, this is a challenge when employees are no longer working from the same workplace under the employer's direct supervision. What are some of the issues that employers can encounter under employment standards legislation if employees' hours are not properly tracked? Well, um, first of all, employment standards legislation requires employers to keep accurate and up-to-date records of their employees' hours. So sort of right off the bat, an employer who's not properly tracking employee hours would be offside of that particular requirement under the uh, under the legislation. Uh, the second issue that would apply to the vast majority of employees is overtime obligations. Uh, again, uh, employers are required to accurately record and pay overtime. Um, if this isn't happening, um, employers will be offside their record-keeping obligations. And I think uh, more significantly, uh, one of the problems we see where employers are not keeping accurate overtime records is uh, they tend to expose themselves to claims by employees um, for uh, unpaid overtime that the employer uh, basically can't defend. Uh, if the employer hasn't been keeping accurate records with respect to overtime, um, it's difficult to dispute an employee who comes uh, to the employer or goes to the employment standards um, authorities and says, look, I kept a record of all the overtime hours I worked and my employer has to pay me for that. So again, the employers need to be able to defend themselves from those sorts of claims, and the only way they can really do that is to keep accurate records. Um, it's also very important for employers to um, manage their risk by defining their employees' hours of work and requiring employees to seek managerial approval for unscheduled work or overtime. So that's a, another method that employers can use to sort of protect themselves in those sorts of situations. Um, one of the easiest ways, I think, to manage uh, this issue of employee hours is to have employees submit daily or weekly timesheets. I think daily would be preferable. Uh, or have employees uh, track time worked on specific projects throughout the day. Uh, but really, the employer really needs to make sure that uh, they're keeping accurate records um, and uh, they're keeping up to, up to date with those. And conversely, remote working also raises concerns of employees working too little hours. And one of the main challenges that I think jumps to the forefront of many employers' minds is how do employers manage employee productivity when they're working from home? And with remote working arrangements continuing, employers are looking for ways to monitor employees who are no longer in the office under the direct supervision of their managers. 
And as a result, there are a number of employee monitoring tools that have become available to employers that have received some media attention. What are some of the legal implications that employers should be aware of when considering installing this type of monitoring software? Yeah, Allison, I think the, the primary concern we get when uh, we start seeing this kind of software is, is uh, privacy obligations and uh, privacy laws that uh, place limits on the scope of technology, technological monitoring. Um, as a general rule, employers are required to collect, use, and disclose personal information of their employees only for the purposes that are reasonable. Uh, now, reasonable sounds a little vague, but legally, the term reasonable means uh, what a reasonable person would consider appropriate in the circumstance. And this reasonable requirement applies even if the individual has consented to the collection, use, or disclosure of his or her personal information. So just having the employee sign off is, is not good enough. You have to have a, uh, a reasonable reason for doing what you're doing. Um, monitoring software may lead to overcollection. That's one of the big concerns. Um, you sometimes cast too wide a net and uh, you end up collecting information that you either um, didn't intend to collect um, or that uh, is not really relevant to the purpose that you're trying to collect it for. Um, I think this is particularly a problem where employees are using personal devices or computers to access their work system while working from home. Um, so there's going to be a significant overlap of private information and then information that's related to work uh, related purposes. So before implementing monitoring software, um, an employer should really conduct a privacy uh, impact assessment uh, in order to help them ensure that they're complying with privacy obligations and to justify uh, the kind of monitoring that they're doing. Um, the scope and content of a privacy impact assessment will vary depending on the nature of uh, the employer's operations. Um, but in essence, uh, the employer, when they're conducting that assessment, should review the intention, rationale, and uh, effectiveness of the proposed initiative. So the kinds of things that you're required to consider are um, things like, is monitoring software likely to be effective to address um, the issues that have been identified by the employer? So the employer has to decide, you know, what are we trying to solve? What problem are we trying to solve? And how does this software get us to that, uh, to that goal? Um, the second you've got to look at is, was the monitoring conducted in a reasonable manner? So is it reasonable or are you casting too wide of a net, sort of, for example, capturing every keystroke that an employee enters? Um, that would probably be too broad. And then the other really important factor is whether or not the employer can meet the same objectives in another way um, that's less intrusive to the employee's privacy concerns, and that's an important one to consider. Um, is there another way that you can do it? Um, and so those are the kinds of considerations. So it's not as simple as just installing some kind of spyware and watching what the employee does every day. You really do have to sit down and, and think about the privacy issues before you go ahead and, uh, and implement some of these solutions. I also think it's important for employers to remember that this monitoring software is not a substitute for personal management. Even though employees are working remotely, it's important to have regular contact with employees, whether that's via video conferencing, telephone, instant messaging, and so forth. And further, connecting with your employees regularly is also an important part of an employer's occupational health and safety obligations, 
which brings me to the next topic of discussion. Even if an employee is working from home, an employee's workspace during work hours may be subject to occupational health and safety legislation and workers' compensation legislation. Accordingly, as with all workspaces, employers have an obligation to conduct a hazard assessment to identify, assess, and control hazards and risks to a worker's health and safety. Adrian, what are some of the things employers can do to discharge their obligations to conduct these hazard assessments when an individual is working remotely? Well, yeah, I think it is a it, it does require a bit of a, a shift in uh, a shift in thinking. But certainly, a home office uh, the starting place should be at least that a home office should offer the same level of safety and security as the employee would receive um, at the regular uh, workplace. Uh, so that's the starting point. Um, the first thing, and, and again, this is something that people sometimes overlook, is that the employee should identify their dedicated work area in their home. So as an employer, you're not responsible for the employee's entire house if they're working from home, but there should be a designated work area where the, uh, the employee is going to carry out their duties while they're working remotely. Once that dedicated work area is identified, occupational health and safety legislation generally requires the employer to conduct a workplace inspection to identify hazards and take corrective action. Uh, employers should ensure workers have a safe and adequate home office or workstation. Uh, for example, employers should be ensuring that employees have an adequate workspace and may have to provide some ergonomic devices to avoid sort of repetitive, repetitive stress injuries and those sorts of things. Um, employees should also be informed that they uh, must comply with the employer's health and safety policies when working from home. Again, just as employers sometimes overlook these requirements, employees sometimes don't think that uh, the workplace safety rules will apply when they're working at home, um, but they do. The other thing that employers should make sure that employees know is that, uh, uh, that they understand their obligation to immediately report workplace injuries under the work Workers' Compensation Act, just as they would do at the office. So working from home can create some unique health and safety issues. In particular, there has been a lot of discussion around the fact that for some, working remotely can be isolating and lonely and has impacted workers' mental health. One of the key ways that employers can manage the mental health of their employees is to stay connected with them. And this can be done by regular meetings, such as the ubiquitous Zoom meetings that everyone is familiar with these days, but also by maintaining the more casual aspects of workplace culture through instant messaging or quick phone calls. What are some of the other strategies that employers should be considering when they're addressing employee mental health? Well, I, I think you're right that, that I think the number one is, is regular contact. I think that's very important to make sure that the, you know, the employee still feels um, like they're part of a larger group and a larger organization and uh, uh, that they're not just sort of sitting in a silo um, working alone and, and, you know, typing into the ether. Um, I think the other thing, the kinds of things that employers need to do is, is uh, I think they should be ensuring that employees keep to a schedule with regular working hours. And, and again, that's, that's part of a, a risk management or mitigation strategy to, to you know, corral those hours of work and make sure that, that things are stay consistent. But it also, you know, it also helps the employees, I think, with a, with a sense of normalcy. Um, and again, what we talked about before with a dedicated workspace, 
Um, I think that's actually uh, it's certainly um, highly advisable and I would argue almost required from OH&S to make sure that there's that one dedicated workspace which uh, allows the employee one to focus on their work when they're working at home and then also to leave that area and so that their whole house doesn't feel like the workplace at the same time. And you know I think it's also important to uh, make sure employees can uh, maintain their professional identity and uh, you know, feel like they're still part of a team and 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 working together towards a a, a common goal for the uh, uh, in the workplace and uh, and in the the bigger picture. It's clear mental health is a very important part of an employee's health and safety, particularly during this strange new world we're living in as a result of COVID-19. But it's not the only health and safety issue that employers should be aware of. What are some of the other key health and safety issues that employers should be working to eliminate or mitigate? Well, yeah, one of the uh, things that occupational health and safety legislation also um, has is specific rules for employees who are working alone. And I think a lot of the time, employees that are working remotely will, if they live alone, they will actually be working alone. And so there are a number of, of rules or precautions that, that employers are actually required to uh, required to undertake. Um, one, and this is more of a practical issue, um, although it is part of the requirement, is keeping in regular contact with the employee, um, even if there is no work details to discuss. So just basically checking in to make sure that the employee is okay. Um, uh, the other thing is the employers should have the workers' contact information, um, including exact address where they will be working from and an emergency contact. Uh, again, um, connectivity doesn't seem to be too much of a problem these days, but actual physical addresses uh, are a little bit more important, and so it's something that an employer should think of. Um, workers should also have a, a working alone contact, so somebody the worker connects with regularly, such as a supervisor or a co-worker, as well as their employer's contact information. So there's sort of almost like a buddy system that would be put in place. And then finally, there should be a protocol for contact with customers. if if the employee is uh, uh, carrying out a job that requires some contact with, uh, with clients or customers. And those protocols should, should do things or consider things like limiting direct contact or prohibiting employees from meeting with third parties in their home and those sorts of things. Um, and so those are, the, those are the major considerations that, uh, that come about from the sort of working alone aspect of, the, of remote working. And as we discussed last, episode. Developing a remote working policy is a key part of managing the eligibility and employee expectations in a remote working arrangement, but it's also an important tool in managing employees' health and safety. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It, it's very important to have a policy, um, and you have to keep in mind with the policy that uh, it's also important to make sure that employees know what the policies are. So having a policy by itself is really kind of useless if the employees don't know what's in the, in the policy itself. So you need to make sure that the employees are familiar with the policies and that you have regular reminders and communications about policies. Otherwise, uh, sometimes they tend to be ignored. And that's sort of the second important part to remember about policies is that it's not good enough to have a policy, you actually have to follow it. And uh, you'd be surprised how many times uh, people, you know, they have the policy and then they go ahead and do something completely different. So it's important to follow those policies once you, once you have them in place. 
This brings us to the end of our two-part conversation on how employers can manage and support remote working arrangements. Adrian, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks, Allison. And thank you to everyone for joining us today. And we encourage you to reach out to your local Denton's Employment and Labor Council with all your employment-related questions, including questions on remote working and remote working policies. Denton's is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see Dentons.com for legal notices. Mm-hmm.